Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Kip Deeth, and he'll be answering your questions on monster muskies. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Kip a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right column of our website. To sign up, just fill in your name and email address, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing as well as fly fishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now. There's a few links on our homepage, and you can share the show tonight. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing businesses ask about fly fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Kip Veith about monster muskies. Douglas Outdoors is a manufacturer of premium quality fly rods, raising the expectations that anglers should expect in componentry, design, engineering, craftsmanship, and in turn performance. Led by head rod designer Fred Contui, Douglas has achieved award-winning rods featuring eye-opening strength to weight ratios and dialed-in technique-specific actions and tapers that cater to a host of different species. Douglas Outdoors has a truly deep lineup of rods ranging from 12 weights for monster tarpon to two weights for tiny brook trout and everything in between. Check them out at douglasoutdoors.com. That's douglasoutdoors.com. Before we introduce Kip, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Kip's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Kip's book, The Orvis Guide to Muskies on the Fly. And uh, this is courtesy of Stackpole Books. So um, Lions Press, and uh, which is a subsidiary, they're all tied together. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Kip and I talk about during the show. And uh, just submit your answer along with your name and location using that text box on our homepage. So um, take notes, uh, listen closely, type fast, and maybe you'll win Kip's book, The Orvis Guide to Muskies on the Fly. Our guest tonight is Kip Deeth. Kip is the owner of Wildwood Float Trips based in Monticello, Minnesota, and was the 2017 Orvis Freshwater Guide of the Year. He is also the author of the Orvis Guide to Muskie on the Fly. Kip has been fly fishing for over 30 years and cut his teeth pursuing trout on the spring creeks of the Driftless region of southwest Wisconsin. 
Now living in Minnesota, Kip guides for a multitude of species from driftless trout to smallmouth bass and muskies. The upper Midwest offers some of the greatest cold and warm water fisheries in the world. He offers a Western-style fishing experience with drift boats floating down the Midwest's many rivers and streams. Wildwood Float Trips is also the outfitter for Orvis Muskie School, and Kip is an Orvis fly designer. Kip and his business have been featured in Minnesota Bound, Orvis Outdoor Adventures, The Drake, Orvis Blog, Outdoor News, Midwest Fly Fishing, and Eastern South Fly Fishing, and Eastern Southwest and Northwest Fly Fishing Magazines. Hey, Kip, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. Well, good to have you. And uh, cold winter's night here in Colorado. How's it doing out there? And Minnesota. Uh, it's not too bad for Minnesota this time of year. So uh, it got up to 40 some today, and it's probably going to get down in the 20s tonight. So it's about average, I guess, for this that's, time of that's year. Balmy. That's balmy. That's yeah, balmy. it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually we have snow on the ground by now, but we did, and it's no. gone now. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got lots of questions tonight. Uh, well, it kind of surprised me all the questions that came in on muskie because it's it's not probably I mean we we get the most amount of action you know on ask about fly fishing on trout you know more yeah, than anything else is, yeah yeah muskies are kind yeah. of on the fringe so to speak and um, but we got lots of good questions so um, first of all tell us a little bit about um, you know the fish itself the biology distribution it isn't it a, a pretty ancient fish by you know in, in, yeah, in I mean, evolutionary standards for, you know, yeah it's it's an old fish and it's um it's got it's mostly upper midwest where you found most of the distribution there are pockets in west virginia and tennessee and um and so it's it's really not really have a big range as a native fish but it's been introduced i think all but a few states have a, some kind of fishable musky population. So uh, it's been around a long time. There's, you know, certain subspecies of it that uh, we'll probably get into that a little bit. But um, it's it's been around a long time. It's just a really unique fish. Um, the kind of, you know, here in the Midwest we have sturgeon, and they remind me a lot of that because they're an old ancient fish that's got a lot of lore and um, history to them, I guess, so to speak, that kind of makes up the Midwest. Yeah, the um, uh, and it's a predatory fish, right? Correct. It's a member of the pike family. Um, so it's an esox is the Latin name for the the pike family, and uh, they're they're very similar, but they're yet they're worlds apart too. So uh, they look a lot like a big northern pike. The lines just go a different way. They go up and down instead of sideways, and um, they have a different way different view of the world than a pike does, I guess, would be a good way to put it. So uh, they're just so an maybe interesting, we can, interesting fish. Yeah, we can uh, get into that a little bit here, and we've got some questions about that. So, um, you know, what are some of the, the myths and legends associated with, with muskies? You know, for ever since I was a kid, you know, they call it the fish of 10,000 casts. But um, uh, that, I, don't, I don't really believe that that's true so uh, you want to dispel that myth for us first um it all depends on who you are i guess oh um, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 yeah yeah it can be i guess it's uh it's it, they're very very hard to catch especially on the fly 
They're very fickle. They're very moody. Um, but when they want to eat, you can't stop them from eating. So they're just a really different fish that way. And that kind of goes along with the legends of the follows and the eating at the bowl and that type of thing. And then also the legends here in the upper Midwest, it's kind of the there's the walleye and the, and the muskie, and those are the two uh, big fish in the upper Midwest pretty much, and the muskie seems to have the most guide legends to it, the stories to them, and um, it goes back into the 20s. And So there's a lot of good Northwoods tales of, uh, that take place about the muskies and the guides that chased them and you know some of the outlaws in Chicago that chased them and that type of stuff. So it, it's a really, really cool when you dive into the history of the fish, and especially here in the upper Midwest, it's, it really takes on kind of like a Paul Bunyan-esque type uh, legend, I, I would say. Yeah, my one of my uncles who lived uh, outside of Chicago um, used to go up every year. He would take his week of vacation and go up for muskie. You know, and he was throwing plugs and stuff back then. And uh, But every year he'd come back and we'd say, hey, Uncle Bob, how How'd you do musky fishing? <laughs> and he was always, well, not too good this year. Not too good. <laughs> you know, he was always after that trophy musky. I don't know that he ever actually got one, but every year he went up searching for the elusive musky. And uh, we, we used right. to always give him a hard time, but he worked hard for it. <laughs> but um, well, You worked hard for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, did you, uh, when did you first get interested in, in fishing for musky yourself? Uh, I had a friend that was a fellow guide uh, that really was kind of one of the first ones here in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area that um, kind of got uh, into muskie on the fly. And he said, ah, we should go up and do it one day. And so we went up to the upper Mississippi and floated one day in, in the fall and actually ended up cooking one. And I was like, ah, it was kind of cool, you know, it wasn't. I wasn't, like, blown away by it, um, but it was, you know, it was an average fish. I think it was 36, 38 inches, something like that. And, uh, you know, he was more excited about it than me, I guess. But then as the more I chased him and the more, you know, you start seeing bigger fish and, and they kind of grab you and get a hold of you and it's, it's pretty hard to shake. So uh, that was probably 20 years ago, um, maybe somewhere in there, I give or take a couple of years, everything's, 20 years for me lately. <laughs> yeah. but, um, <laughs> a couple of decades. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's not five years anymore. It's always 20. No, you know. every, oh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, there's no such thing as a couple of years ago anymore. But, uh, yeah. No, so no, I, that's, that's you know, only when you're in your 20s, Kip. Only when you're yeah, in your yeah, 20s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of how I got hooked up to with it. And, um, you know, so he, he kind of got out of the game. He got, I was into bird dogs really big, and he got into bird dogs, and I got into muskie fishing. So we kind of crossed paths, and one went the one way, and I went the muskie way. And, um, yeah, so it, it, it's an interesting story, but that's my first kind of big experience with it. So you started out fishing for muskie on the fly? You, you weren't using plugs or Correct. spinning gear at all? No, I've never, you know, I've, I've got gear now. Um, but, yeah, I never really threw for them with anything mm. but, but a fly. No, I've caught them on gear over the years, but yeah, uh, probably one of my biggest ones came on gear, but um, and it was a fluke. But, yeah, I'd rather, you know, most 99% of my fishing for muskies has been on the fly. Well, since you've done a little bo both, um, Stefan from um, 
Ellensburg, Washington asks, uh, what do you view as the strengths and weaknesses of fly fishing versus conventional lure fishing for muskie? Um, there's not a whole lot of strengths with the fly fishing. It, it's very difficult. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, muskie fishing is hard enough, and then you throw a fly rod involved in it, and it gets, it compounds into difficulty quite a bit. But there are some strengths to it, I will say that. Um, and it mostly on high pressure waters that see a lot of guys angling gear, it's something different. And if fish have seen a bucktail or a you know a conventional lure um, over and over and over again, and you present them with something different, that might be the difference between um, you getting them and and not. So I like any you know especially on pressure water, anything anything that's different uh, is better. And like a lot of the rivers that we float now, there's probably more fly guys than there are gear guys fishing it. So if you really wanted to, you know, I've said this a few times, if you really wanted to catch a fish, I'd probably throw gear just because it's something <laughs> different. But, huh, know, that's it, you know, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just those fish didn't get big by being stupid, you know. So you might cook one or two big fish a year, and that, you know, that same fish maybe once or twice, um, and that's going to be about it. Once that fish learns what you're throwing, unless you hit every, all the stars align or something like that, then um, it's pretty tough to, to catch that fish again. So, so you don't you don't hook so up, that, with, bring a muskie to the boat and find a, another lure fly hanging from his lip, huh? Not usually. No, I never have. But um, I mean, not to say they haven't been caught before, but um, or that even that year. But like you know, there was a big one that we chased this year that my client hooked two weeks before my buddy actually caught it. We had it. We fought it for about five or six minutes. It was a low fifties fish. It was a giant fish, and and one of my buddies caught it probably two weeks later. And then our season closed um, Monday. So we went up Sunday to try to tangle with it again, and we didn't even see it. And I think it, it just said, I don't think so. And the moon was right. The weather was good. Everything was good. You know, that's why we went up there, and we didn't see a fish. So those big fish learned pretty quick. But, you know, and that fish had been fished at quite a bit. And, you know, the word got out with our small little group, and everyone was kind of after her again. But to no avail, So you know – that, that fish doesn't move a whole lot, it, it sounds like. Not in the winter. No, once they hole up for the winter, or they're there all winter. You know, so, like, if you can kind of see the movement here in mid-September, you might get a first cold snap, and they'll get kind of triggered up. But usually that mid-October, they'll start migrating to their winter holes or their, you know, their, their spots, and they're going to go home all week, all winter. And then they're going to be there all winter long, you know, so... In the warmer months, how much do they move around, do you think? Oh, they can move miles. You know, they'll okay. move miles into a spawning area or, um, and then they're mid-summer mid stuff, and then they, then they fall back and move up to their, you know, winter stuff. So in between that is their migrations, and then, you know, so you've got to kind of time that. And usually it's, you know, besides spawn, it usually has to do with bait. You find a bait, you're going to find a fish. So, you know, that's kind of the rule, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, where do they spawn? Do they spawn in the lakes or in the in the uh, creeks or rivers? Or 
Yeah, they'll get into some dead water, kind of, stuff, kind of like a pike, but they spawn quite a bit later than pike. Um, so a pike will usually go right underneath the ice or right, right as ice goes out. And then the pike or the muskies are probably two to three weeks after that, you know, if everything lines up right with the weather and all that. But um, the, they spawn right, right, right before a bass, basically. So, uh, and, and they do you spawn in a little deep, deeper water than a pike will do. And do they, uh, do you fish them before and after the spawn? Are those good times to fish for them? No, they can't here. We have everything closed up. So oh, we don't okay. open muskie, yeah, we don't open muskie season until, I think it's the second week, first or second weekend in June, I'd have to, have to look. I don't, oh. I don't really fish them too, too much until um, the fall. So I'm in bass mode usually in May and June, July and August. So, um, um. You you are, but would uh, does that mean the muskie fishing isn't so good in June? No, July? it's very good. It's very good. Um, right, like the opening two weeks, because they're coming off a of spawn and they're looking to bulk back up. So yeah. they're pretty beat up. They're pretty um, skinny. That they're, they're really not very attractive. <laughs> you know, oh. you know, you know, they're just they've taken a pounding during spawn. So they're they're kind of like a big buck that's been rutting for two months, and you know yeah. you, you see him and he's just like you know can hardly move. So that, that's <laughs> kind of yeah you know they've had a rough go. So um, but they're very hungry and it's you know probably the that and then the fall are the two peak times to really you know when they're probably eating the most they're the most aggressive is either post spawn or the fall when the winter's coming in. Yeah, so that's uh, Stefan and Dan both um, were asking about the best time of year to, to fly fish for muskies. Yeah. So you you would say the fall would be the, the, the best time, starting when? Um, I would say October 1st, but there's certainly oh. good fishing in September if you get the first cold snap. Um, you know, if you're coming from out of town and you're trying to hit when to fish, I would just, you know, give you a blade, blade like October 1st. So you got about basically a mm -hmm. month and a half of, um, you know, this year it got warm, so we, we can fish the whole season. Usually in the rivers are starting to chunk up with ice, usually the first or second week in November. Um, now we had a little of that, but not, nothing major. We could still fish through the whole season. So um, the season goes till the end of November. So here Okay. Okay. And are you primarily fishing rivers rather than lakes? I um I do do some lake stuff, but I'm more of a river guy. You know, I'm an old trout guy, bass guy, so I love rivers. I love moving water. Um, it's what I know best. So, but I have fished some lakes, um, and you know, for the most part, the bigger fish are probably going to be in a bigger bigger system. So, uh, lakes are probably a good spot to look. You know, and we certainly have some phenomenal lakes here. I just I just prefer rivers. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea um, the territory? I mean, do muskies have territories, and how big is that? So if you're, you know, if you're like floating a river, would you expect to find a muskie every hundred feet, every hundred yards? What? Any idea? Uh, a big muskie, you know. So let's say mid forties to, you know, whatever. Needs a hundred acres of water, 
So, hey, there's not a lot of big muskies, no matter where you're fishing. So, you're talking kind of trophy size, that, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, 40 and above, probably. Yeah. Um, and in a minute here in Minnesota, where I fish, it's more of a big fish. It's bigger water, so it means big fish. Most of the waters I fish are pretty big river systems, so they grow bigger fish. I mean, it's just kind of an unwritten rule. If it's a bigger body of water, chances of growing a bigger fish are better than a smaller body of water. Um, same with the mm -hmm. lakes, and that's why Minnesota and Canada have probably the best. Musky fishing is because we have bigger bodies of water, and our genetics are a little bit better than um, some other strains, but, you know, so... Yeah, a, a big muskie needs 100 acres of water. So if you take that into effect, you can kind of realize that there's just not a whole lot of those fish out there. So you, yeah. that's kind of why, where the 10,000 casts probably come from is that there's not a whole bunch of those big fish in any particular body of water, to, no matter what it is. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's why the fall is nice because they're pretty concentrated. Uh, you'll get into, two, you know, two or three fish will move into a big, deep wood pile or something like that and concentrate there in the fall. So you can kind of pick them apart a little bit easier in the fall. It makes it, a, you know, not that it's ever easy, but it's, it, it, it helps a little bit to concentrate the fish and kind of takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it, you know, especially if you've well, fished now, the river system for years. Those spots are pretty, usually pretty good for a long time unless something happens. Now, why are they concentrated in the fall? Um, just because they're they're trying to to limit their territory and settle down? Yeah, they're just following the bait fish, and the bait fish go into deeper pools to ride out the winter. You know, mm -hmm. so they're right there behind them or near them, and they're not as scattered because there's not a whole. But you know, let's you know when the ice starts forming, you shrink that river a lot. Um, yeah. And there's not a whole lot of spots for them to be except for deeper deeper pools. So that's kind of what happens. So all those bait fish move into those deeper pools, and the muskies are right there real close to them or right in there with them. So yeah. now they yeah. don't eat as much, you know, because the water's cold and the metabolism slows down, but, you know, right. they are concentrated. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a quick break here, Kip, and uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk about some of the equipment that you use to, you know, and how you rig up and so forth to get ready for hooking up with one of these big big guys. So uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience in coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling, while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach and kayaks on pongos, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Kip 
Beef about monster muskies. If you'd like to ask Kip a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box there to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer it on the show tonight. Okay, um, so Kip, uh, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So tell us a, a little bit about your business there and, and what's going on in Minnesota. Not much right now. <laughs> it's pretty cold. So. <laughs> um, we do have some trout fishing still, uh, you know, we, that we have year-round here in the spring creeks, but um, and we do guide for them a little bit in the, in the winter. But uh, mostly the name of my guide service is Wild with Float Trips. I live right on the banks of the Upper Mississippi in the Catch and Release Zone, um, and this St. Croix River systems and the Mississippi River systems and a few other things the smaller ones in this in the upper Midwest here. So and we concentrate mostly on smallmouth bass from May till um, Labor Day, usually mid September. And then we transition into muskies from there until we go until we can't camp anymore. So this year was pretty fortunate. We got to fish um, all the way to the end of the season. I did go down red fishing so I missed a week, but um, that was uh, that's pretty much our season and then we do Spring Creek trout from probably mid-March to May, and then we do a little bit of bluegill stuff. I have a couple lakes that I, that's probably one of my favorite fish to fish for, and I have clients that are kind of as goofy as I am, and uh, we'll do <laughs> two or three weeks of bluegill, so yeah, that's kind of a yeah. season in a nutshell. So. Now, do you do multi-day trips or just day trips? Uh, we do some, like, specialty trips, I call them. So we have, like, uh, one trip we've been doing for 14 years. It'll be 14, I think, this year. It's called the Smallmouth Trip from Hell. So we do four different rivers in four days. So we kind of travel. So we start in Mississippi and then go to St. Croix and then go to a different river. And, you know, we usually end up somewhere in Wisconsin on the fourth day. So depending on water conditions and stuff like that. So, you know, every we get done fishing, you travel to the next river and, you get ready and do it all over again. You get out of the hour once getting older so you don't travel quite like we did, you know, 14 years ago. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool trip. And then I do a bluegill weekend. And then um, we do a few others, you know, kind of specialty trips like that for, for people. So we don't run like two days floating on a, you know. Camping out. Camping stuff, or, kind of, yeah. yeah, nothing like that. I've always wanted yeah. to, but. Most people don't want to do that, so it's yeah, well, super comfortable back for the most part, you know. So. Uh, I, I still you like my Paco pad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's a guy that was yeah, most of our clients are older. Uh, they've yeah. done the camping thing, and they really don't care to do it anymore. So, you know, that's yeah. just a, I, I do an heartbeat, especially on the same toy, you know, <laughs> national. National Sheep Wild Tunic River, and it's it just it's gorgeous, and it's, it's a yeah. cool place to do that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, well, let's talk about. Um, uh, uh, oh, and what's your website address? How, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, wildwoodfulltrips.com, uh, and uh, it's got everything on there. And if you have any questions, email us or shoot us a phone call, and we want to happy to help you out. Okay, wildwoodfloattrips.com. All right, so there you go, folks. Uh, look Kip up and, uh, and book a trip with him up there. So, 
All right, let's talk about equipment. Dan uh, Leibarger in, in Illinois asks, what weight fly line, leader, and tippet do you recommend for muskie? So why don't you start at the top and, and roll us through. What's the whole muskie rig about? Um, it's, I usually start with a 10 or 10, 12 weight rod, and it's more for the fly, the casting of the, the fly than it is for the fish. I mean, the fish, a big 50-inch fish is going to fight no matter what kind of fish it is, but muskies aren't really known for their, you know, some, you know, that big of fish should fight a little bit harder. I mean, it, it does, don't get me wrong, but every fish is different too. Like we, we had a couple this year that were fantastic. I mean, they jumped and, and everything. It was, it was pretty cool, but some of them don't. So it's just more about you know, casting the fly and what you're comfortable with, how big a fly you're comfortable with casting. Um, a lot of people just will water load them and shoot them. So um, there's a billion different kinds of fly rods out there. And in the book, I say, you know, fish it until you find it. Um, find something, you know, in, in musky stuff, it's hard to do that. Because if you don't know what to swear to start, most fly shops just aren't going to let you take a rod out and, and wing it around for a couple of days. So um, I would I would start with a 10 or 12 weight. There's plenty of musky rod. Loomis has a musky rod. Orvis has a, a musky rod now. Uh, there's a smaller one here um, in Minnesota that's made that's, that's really, really good. Um, so there's just a ton of really good musky rods out there. Most of them are designed by guys that musky fish and, and know what they're doing. So... Um, What's the you you had mentioned you go down and fish redfish? Uh, do you fish tarpon too? I mean, I'm getting. I I am, yeah, I am this year, but I I've never. I went to Belize last year. And we really did. I was kind of hooked on permit. I didn't really care about yeah. tarpon that week, but but yeah. I'm going down. I have a friend that guys in Everglades in in May, and we're gonna I'm gonna go down for a couple of days and, and try that. I'm just. I just want to hook one. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering what the difference between a you know a 12 weight tarpon rod and a 12 weight musky rod would be. Um, basically, I have a 12 weight tarpon rod that Tom Combs from Borbus turned into a musky rod for me. So okay. I fished with him one day, and he, he sent me the rod. And, and uh, the real big difference is is the tip. Um, okay. You need a you need a stiffer tip just to turn the fly at the boat. So um, that's the only really difference, I think. You know, if I was designing a musky rod, I would have a pretty stout tip on it just so I can work close to the boat and the, and the rod tip doesn't kind of fold when you're figure eight. It's like, you know, 14, 15-inch fly. There's a lot of water resistance there. And I want to be able to spin that that fly without having it to slow down or, or stall out or, or that type of stuff. So that's kind of really the real, that in my opinion, now you'll get anyone that, you know, and then, and then they have kind of a, you know, a good musky rod has kind of a quasi-spay handle on it, so you can pin it against your forearm when you're casting, and you can use two hands when you're working it close if you're really working a, a fish close um, on the mm -hmm. figure eight. So those are the big, the two big difference between I mean, for years we fished 10, 12, 11 weights, just standard saltwater rods for years, and you can still do it. It's fine. Okay. If you're going to buy one yeah. rod to, to go saltwater fishing, if you want to buy 10 weights to, to go red fishing or tarp, whatever, um, you can certainly do it with um, 
musky fish with it too. I mean, like I said, we did it for 10, 15 years before they started coming out with, you know, really Different special tips, yeah. rods. Yeah. yeah. And even spay makers are making musky rods now. And, um, you know, years ago we had, I had a client that ordered one from, it's at Neesnet out there, and um, he brought it on a trip. And I went, this thing is really, really cool. You know, mm. so he, did, he he told him what he wanted. He made the rod for him, and it worked out really cool. And now he's making them, you know, quite a quite a few, I think. But I think that was probably one of the very first specialty musky rods in the country at the time. You know, this was like you said, you know, everything's twenty years ago now. But uh, so it it was pretty cool. He could he could roll cast it, load it up, and then crank it up and shoot it just like a spay rod, and it, it, it would throw a musky mm. fly. 60 feet, no problem. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, there's, um, there's, you uh, kind of just flew right by the, the figure eight there. Uh, you want to explain the figure eight? Because um, uh, I, I don't know, unless you've been musky fishing, you probably don't know about it. Right. It's, you know, we, we call it a figure eight just because you make an eight. Um, you don't have to make an eight. It's just moving the fly Super, you know, so if I'm casting, I have a fish that's following. He's not eating. He's not eating. He's just, you know, he's right behind, right behind the fly. And, I mean, I've had the flash tickle in their nose, and they're just right screwed to that fly. And so they keep coming, and then once they get to the boat, you have nowhere to go, really, right? So you have to make an aid or do a change, and, and that's where the figure eight kind of comes into play. So. Um, I, I hate fish that follow because, especially in the fall, they usually aren't going to eat. Sometimes they do, but it's more of a summer thing, I think, than, than it is a fall thing. But so as the fly comes in, I always stick my rod into the into the water deep, like I'm, I mean, like two to three feet down, if I can, and then I turn it. And then when as I turn, I'm also bringing the fly up. So not only am I changing directions or changing the depth, I'm changing direction. So I've got two things that are going to hopefully trigger that fish. So and then as the fly comes back up, I turn it back, and then I start my eight. So then I'll turn it, and the fly will be higher in the water column, and then I'll push it back down, and then come up on the eight, back down, I'll come up in the bank, back down, and you'll just, you just do that and do that and do that until the fish finally says either eats it, or just has enough and just falls walks away and that's usually what they do. You know, they'll yeah. musky fishing. Yeah. Yeah, the first oh, and that's time why we I... won we're... Go ahead, go I'm ahead. sorry. No, go ahead. Um, and that's kinda of why we, we use really small leaders. So I might use a two feet of fifty pound, you know, either floral mono and then eighteen to twenty inches of wire with the snap on it and that's why they're short. So when I'm doing the eight that fly, I don't have that big, big leader to mess with. That fly stalling, so um, that's why mm -hmm. you want a really short leader. Yeah. Yeah. The the first time I came across that, I was with my uncle in northern Wisconsin. He lived on a lake that had muskie, and he took me and my young son out. My my son was probably only about eight or ten years old or whatever, and my uncle was a big kind of jokester and you never knew what to believe you know what was coming out of his mouth so we're getting in the boat first of all he puts a t-ball bat in the boat and my son goes what's the t-ball bat for and he says well these musky are big fish and we didn't know if he was just trying to jack my son up you know and and then um and so then we get out in the boat and and uh 
and he tells us, he says, now, when you re and we were using spinning gear, he said, when you reel in, when it gets to the boat, you leave about six feet of line out, and you do this figure eight in the water. And to me, this is like, um, what, what is that thing where they, uh, not grouse, um, oh, where they send you out in the woods to catch snipe, snipe hunting, right? Snipe you know, that's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super, I'm here's my uncle. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, so here's my this this is the kind of uncle I have, right? So so we're going, yeah, right, right, yeah, sure. We're supposed to put that, you know, because we've never done that before. And he says, no, no, I'm I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. And so sure enough, the first time we do it, um, the we get a hit from a muskie. We didn't catch the muskie, but he came out from underneath the boat and grabbed right. that fly. Yeah, and. Uh, and we were believers. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it that Those way. Big you marks, know? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, uh, and um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I I was finished. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. I always tell the guys at least spin it once or twice because you know I want everyone to figure it all the time. But I'm also a realist that after about three hours of doing that and not seeing anything, the chances yeah. of someone keep doing a figure eight is slim to none. So, you know, basically, <laughs> yeah. I say at least, you know, at least give me a turn, a J, or whatever. And because a lot of times those fish will be underneath that fly, and you don't even know they're there. And yeah. you'll go to pick it up the cast, and sure enough, there he comes, because you're moving the fly right to cast. So you're speeding up the fly, and you're changing depth. So all of a sudden, you pick it up, and the fish is right behind it, and you just blew it, you know. So yeah. uh, always give it a turn, always change direction, always, you know, make a make a make it look different maybe that'll at least get them off the bottom to look at it and then you can go into a full eight or something but yeah yeah so what uh, kind of line are you using floating line sinking tip what what are you usually usually using um sinking i always use sink i never use floating line unless um maybe in the summer if we do you know if i i rarely go fishing for them in the summer but um if we're going to do top water course then we're going to throw a, a floating line or maybe even an intermediate you can get away with that with um with the big top water presentation but yeah it's all sink tip uh i use a lot of the sa lines the sonars um they're great great lines of you know we kind of helped develop them, a couple of them here in the midwest you know three i'm used to own them so they were kind of our fly line for the minneapolis area so um it's, it's kind of stayed that way i guess mm -hmm. And and your leader and tippet setup is is what? I usually run a fifty pound mono or floral. Depending, you know, I don't think it really matters. Um, some people argue probably that, but and then I use wire. I use a coated stainless. Um, I do an albright knot um, from the fifty pound to the wire, and then I make sure that's. I always check everything with my bulk of grip and. I mean, I reef on them just to make sure they're not going to go out. And then I always glue them. It's probably not necessary, but I always do a little crazy glue on them. And then I use a snap on the end of the, the wire leader, and that's usually, it's a stay-lock snap. It's the only kind of snap you can use is a stay-lock snap. Uh, you know, it's the only one that'll, and I'm not even going to say those never fail. They rarely, rarely, rarely ever fail. Everything else that I've used has failed. So stay lock snap, and then I just do it like a three-inch, three-turn clinch on that. Cinch it down good into my polka, and then uh, I don't glue that usually, but and then that's that's a setup, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then and then to the fly, yeah. 
uh, from the yep, uh, and then the snap the and slide. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So yeah. they're not afraid of any uh, tippet gear, oh. obviously. No. <laughs> I would say you, you could, you know, if they wanted to eat, they'd eat a sock with a hook in it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's it's when they they don't want to eat is the problem. But if they're triggered and they want to go, they, you're not gonna. They don't care. Yeah. This may seem like a kind of a silly question, but, uh, but I know Karen uh, Miller out here in Colorado was caught about everything on her Tenkara gear. Uh, but Les wrote in and asked if, um, you know, would, he says, would muskies be a good species for Tenkara? Has, have you seen anybody use Tenkara for muskies or caught a, a muskie with Tenkara? No, it's a, kind of a running joke here. So I, I whoever left is, I, I don't, you know, he's probably a friend of mine that wrote in and did that. But uh, <laughs> um, no, I haven't, and, and I don't think you, you know, I don't even. I've done it once. A client's grandkid had one, but you can't stick yeah. with no car, right? So no, uh, you can't. Work. Yeah, uh, it's just. Yeah, Karen Miller, who I I interviewed on on the show. Uh, I mean, she's got some beefy, beefy rods. Um, she's called Tarpon, you yeah. know, uh, and stuff sure. uh, as well with Tenkara. So, uh, just just curious. It it it's, it may I'm be not, legit. I'm not saying you can. I'm not saying you can. But yeah, yeah. But it'd be it, tough. You know, it, it's hard enough to do it. I don't think you could. I don't think you could. well. You keep on a tarpon with it, so I'm who am I to say? But to try to put a hook in them with a with a rod it would be yeah pretty hard. You'd probably have to have the all the stars aligned, right? You, you sight fish to right, it, put it right, right in front of them, and he takes it on the first you know uh, you know first yeah. and you don't strip. really can't yeah. sight fish one. I mean, we just I mean you could, but it's pretty rare that you you know if you so see them getting them that way up and just. Yeah, they're just kind of chilling anyway. They're probably not going to eat anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, time to take another quick break, and we'll come back and we'll talk uh, some more about flies that uh, that you're using and and all about all about those. So uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market, as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. Again, that's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Kip Veith about monster muskies. If you'd like to ask Kip a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that text box to send us your question. And um, let's see. Um, oh, well, we do have some questions coming in here on the Internet, Kip. Um, Ray uh, Laudano in Libertyville. I don't know where Libertyville is, but um, uh, he says, what? It's, it's what? 
In the Chicago area, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, he says, what is, the name of the, uh, what is the name of the fly shown in the mouth of that beautiful muskie in your, in your presentation photo? I think he's talking about the photo we have of you on, on our site that you saw. Oh, um, that's uh, my dear friend John Luke's um, musky rat, and he was the only one that tied it. And, um, yeah, so he's no longer with us, but a uh, dear, dear friend of mine, and that was his fly, and I, I still have that fly, and I don't fish it anymore. I have it kind of tucked away in a special spot. But, yeah, that I still have a few of his that I've kept, and I do, like, uh, we'll fish him, you know, in a special spot every once in a while. But, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's called a musky rat, yeah. And he was, like, one of the rat. first guys once I... Yeah, once again, like 20 years ago, right? Um, he's one of the first guys to come up with that tail. Uh, now everyone's got the tail, but uh, you know, he probably 15 years ago he started putting suede tails on those things. And mm -hmm. I mean, some of them he had they had little whiskers on them and ears, and I mean it was they were their works of art. They're really really cool flies. But yeah, that's, that's called the musky rat. It's kind of a game changer type of uh, fly, but uh, a little different. So yeah. Uh, Phil in uh, Kentucky wrote in here, uh, he says, are muskies best presented with a half a chicken flies or would they take smaller flies? Um, they'll take smaller flies. You know, you fish with what you can. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I like throwing, I mean, I we fish bigger water, I think, and, um, than, they, than they have in Kentucky and out of Tennessee and um, their water is just not as big here, there, so I don't think you need to push as much water. I'm a big um, bulk versus length guy. I like a big, thick, you know, like a can of corn basically going through the water to push and make as big a disturbance as I can um, versus mm -hmm. the length. I think the, the width of a fly is more important here in the upper Midwest than it is the length. Um, that's just me. That's, you know, my personal view on it. Everyone's got their own. Flies are kind of a different Everyone's got their um, opinion on it or their theories, I guess. But so yeah, that's kind of you can. I'll drop down a lot if we move a fish and he looks at that big fly and just kind of says, "I don't think so." We'll I'll go down to a single and, and throw at him, and a lot of times a smaller fly will will get him to eat. So yeah, I mean it's we've caught him on Murdoch minnows, we've caught him on big you know eighteen inch flies, we've caught him on everything in between. So they can be caught in anything. It's just what you fish the best and what you're comfortable with. I, I think that's more important than the actual fly itself. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to wear out and not fish it properly, then don't fish it. You know, I mean, everything's got to go right to catch a muskie. So um, pick a fly that you're comfortable with, you have confidence in, and um, you're going to fish it you know, the best way that you know how. Um, and I've got a question here from Tom Gunn in Virginia. He says, uh, please expand on if and why you think the game changer style fly is the most innovative new design in fly tying industry and how it will account for bigger muskie being caught in the new, in the near future. Is a, is a game changer style something you, you, you like? I'm going to make a lot of people mad in, in Virginia because I know that's where Blaine's at. He's a good dude, and he's yeah. probably no bigger innovator tire than, than Blaine right now. But I'm not a big fan. Um, okay. 
I use the shakes in my stuff, but I don't use a ton of them, right? So, I'll, you know, the, probably the biggest fly I have is a triple, um, where I'll have three sections, not the 10 or whatever, you know, a big changer would have in it. Um, and the reason being, I, I do like the articulation. I do like that kind of movement, but I like movement after the movement. And a changer doesn't do that really well. So you have to manipulate it to get it to kick, right? So when you stop it, it just kind of sits there. It doesn't do much. Where the flies that we designed here in the Upper Midwest, um, Gabe Schubert's a dear friend of mine. He probably ties the best musky fly in the world. Um, and they're they either doubles or triples, and they're, they're just, they just walk the dog underneath the water. And that's, that's the magic movement that I think works the best. Like I said, everyone's got their own opinion. Um, not to say you can't, you know, there's plenty of fish that have been caught in game changers. I mean, Blade's testament to that, but, um, mm -hmm. and they're a great fly. But I just like walk the dog and that slow, and it's maybe it's got something to do with that we fish. I mean, the water temperature on Sunday was 33.4. So maybe that's got something to do with it. Um, I like the slower, just a boom and let it glide, and boom, let it glide, boom, let it glide. Kind of like an old suet, if you ever fish yeah. like a glide beach, you know, you know, those type of things. I, I'm, I'm big on that that type of movement. And I think maybe because of the colder water we have here in the upper Midwest, maybe that's the reason. I'm not sure, but that's kind of what I look for in a fly is a, a, a walk the dog, you know, just steady, and they usually they usually eat it on that on the glide. You know, it's a middle that's just barely hanging on, trying to get through the winter and they're going to crush it. So, yeah, that uh, when you said Suic, that brought back old memories from my uncle. Yeah, I knew it would. I knew it would, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah the he had a made the stop from seeing us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah, some, guy, some guy sitting in Kentucky probably has no idea what a Suic is, but if you're from <laughs> the up, up in the Midwest, everyone knows what a Suic is, man. That's, yeah, that's yeah. It's old as dirt. It's still effective. I know guys are still fish them, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, see, that's what I was thinking when we were talking earlier, you know, and you're talking articulated flies now. And those old, like, suics and stuff, you know, and, and a bunch of, I remember all those old lures my dad, my yeah. uncles had, were all these articulated, you know, uh, solid lures. But that's where right, I would think right. that, that fly, articulated flies might have an advantage over those lures the fact of, of the liveliness and the movement, do, do you do you feel that way at all? Yeah, I think they, they do. I mean, um, so, so what happens on the flies that I use is when they kick, when that tail comes around, you know, so if I'm throwing a double, which is, you know, one articulation, right? So you have a, the front half and the second half, and then you, you pull it, it goes straight, well, then that, the back end kind of kicks it. And that gives it the, the slide. So, you you know, you can fish a, I hate just a straight, like, streamer fly, like a, uh -huh. like a deceiver. You know, I'm just, I'm not picking yeah. on a deceiver, but they don't do much, right, when you stop stripping them. They just kind of sit there, right? So that's where I think the articulation and, the, like, before Blaine had his, the, the shanks and all that stuff, we would just use, you know, wire and then tie it into the, and that was what we got our articulations with and now we have the shanks and that thanks to bring in it um you know all the the body tubing and all that stuff that that he kind of came up with that 
I mean, you can really take a lot of bulk out of your fly with all the new materials and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's um, come a long way. But yeah, I think the articulation is definitely better than than none. Now, if you don't want to throw a big articulated fly, then work with what you got, right? And and yeah. fish with the best you can, you know. So. Yeah, I was uh, thinking more that you know the fur, the feathers, the uh, you know, just yeah. more. You yeah, know, it looks like a a living organism, right? And it's just yeah. stopping there. Where a changer, they have the you know, I, well, you can tie them anywhere. You know, there's guys messing with changer stuff now that they, they look pretty cool. You know, they're using deer hair and you know who knows what else. You know, so it it does have a little more pulse to it than. Um, than, the, than the, the original game changers, probably, you know. And I know he's doing yeah. another changer and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's only going to get better and better and better. I mean, the rods are getting better, the lines are getting better, the fives are getting better. It's just uh, so many people are into it now, you know, relatively to what it was 15 years ago. It's yeah. just going to get more innovative and, you know, people are pretty smart and, you know, the fish are even smarter sometimes and, so we're always trying to change it and make it uh, so it's um, we stay one foot ahead of them. I don't think we ever will be, but um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Campbell in Buffalo, New York, wrote in. He says, uh, Hi, Kip, when you fish those large articulated streamers, uh, is it necessary to have a stinger hook on the fly, or do muskies mostly always attack the head of the fly? If you do use stinger hooks, is there a length that you would uh, only use one hook. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got singles where I only use one hook, but mostly that's for people that don't want to throw a big fly, you know. And um, they're probably eight to ten inches is probably the kind of the cutoff I would say. And I always throw a stinger hook in there. Um, they do eat it head first, but the longer you musky fish, the more weird stuff you see. I want as many hooks as, you know, without being dangerous in there. There's a couple of guys that are running a kind of trouble hook, you know, one of the hooks off and run that. I think that's kind of overkill. But, um, yeah, I run a stinger hook. I mean, but I'll have to say, I'll say this, 80% of my fish are caught with the front hook. You know, but if you're doing an eight, if you're doing a figure eight, sometimes they just come up and snap at it. If you don't have a stinger hook, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hook that fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, uh, I, I would use them. Uh, William Henry in Brooklyn, New York, asks, "What's the largest fly you use for muskie?" Uh, we've probably got some that are 18 inches. You know, really? You slap a tail on them, and yeah, they're kind of gotten away from them. Well, clients can't throw them. You know, there's there's a handful of us that throw them. And my elbow, I, mean, I don't fish anymore. Like, you know, I'll go fishing with my son, and, you know, I'll get up and start fishing. He goes, man, you stink. And I'm like, yeah, I don't get to fish anymore. That's why, because I don't want a boat, you know. So um, <laughs> we used to throw all that stuff, you know. We still do, you know. I mean, it, it moves a lot of water. If we're looking for a big, big fish, you know, throw a big, big fly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh... – God, that's got to be a lot of work, you know. You've got a 10, 12 oh, weight rod throwing. Yeah, not good on the uh, shoulders and elbows, huh? No, yeah. no, no. And that's where most guys will water load them and just kind of shoot them. And, 
you know, they'll start aerializing them for about an hour and a half, and pretty soon it's, you know, it's a flop and dry, but, you know, they don't, they're not going to play that game, you know. So, and it's, it's not pretty. Musky casting isn't pretty, and it's, it's a lot of work, so. Um, before we move on to, to talking about some strategies and tactics, any other gear that you take with you that are must-haves, you know, for fishing or for handling musky once they're to the um, um Always have a hook sharpener. It's probably number. First is glasses. Have very good sunglasses. My wife, when I was writing the book, she must have read that chapter like three times. She goes, if I hear one more word about sunglasses, I'm going to throw up, you know. But um, they're very important to see the fish before they see you, I guess. So I have, like, three pair. I'd have a yellow pair, um, low nut light, because um, most of the muskie fishing in the fall is in clouds. Or just a regular pair, I guess. But uh, that, that real important, a good pair of glasses. Hook sharpener, um, a good needle nose pliers, um, a good side cutter in case something goes wrong or you can't get the, the fish has got it deep and you hate to cut one of those you know, hundred dollar flies up, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, I have a bulk of grip. I don't use it to handle the fish, but sometimes if they're pretty tired, I'll use it to just to kind of hold the fish in the water and, and revive them a little bit. It's sometimes a little easier that way. Um, and then a bump board measure, I guess, if you want to do that. But those are the things that I would really um, fish handling gloves um, that kind of prevent your fingers from getting beat up. I don't wear them like I should, but um, uh, they're, they're, you know, especially holding a muskie, you put your mouth, your your, mouth, your hand in there, kind of on their gill, there's a bone there that you grab, and if you slip, you can slice it up pretty good. So, yeah, those are the things that I would that I would make sure I had in my boat bag. Yeah, okay. Um, Corey in, in New Hampshire wrote in, and he says, uh, living in New Hampshire, I'm not aware of big muskie bites. But pike can be found with uh, minimal effort. Is your best est in your best estimate, how effective are your musky techniques applied to pike? Well, I, you know, they're the same family. I would say uh, pretty effective. Um, they're much more aggressive. Well, they're not much more aggressive. They're aggressive more than a musky is, I guess. You know, so a, a pike's a little happier fish than a musky. It's not as moody, so. They, they work pretty well. Uh, you know, we don't, I mean, we have pike here. I, we don't have, there's some places with some bigger pike. We don't have big pike like we did when you and I were young. You go to northern Wisconsin and, you know, you, you catch a 40 inch pretty commonly. Now it's not so common. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very effective. I think that slow working bait, just like a muskie, they love that thing. You know, you tie a red and white. Big Buford and kick that thing on, they're going to crush the heck out of it. So, you know, that just downsized it a little bit, probably. Last time I caught a uh, a large pike, it was uh, up in uh, Lake Kississing, up in Upper Manitoba. Um, oh, okay. And it was like a, I think a 40 inch pike or whatever. But I remember that, and the guide, we were out on a boat in a lake, and, um, and, uh, that that fish went down deep and just hung there, kind of. Um, you know, you yeah. were talking about fight before, um, yeah. and the guide says that's a big fish. He says because he says the little ones will jump and 
play around and do some stuff. He says, when you have a big fish, it just kind of sounds and goes down deep. Um, it, yeah, you, the, the muskies do that as well. I've, I've never caught a muskie, so. Yeah, yeah they do that. Um, you know when you've got a bigger fish. You know, you you stick it, and you, you know, when you go to you when you go to strip set, and that thing feels like a log, you know, and I've had guys miss fish because they thought it was a log. You know, and the log starts swimming, and you're going, man, it's too late now, you just blew that fish. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you know when it, but now, earlier in the year, they'll get up and jump and thrash a little bit if you got a really hot fish. Like I said, every fish is different. Some are just hot as ghetto, you know, they'll just, they'll jump and, you know, rarely do they jump, I mean, but like this year, like we had the, our, one of our bigger fish of the year it was a 49 and a quarter. The guy goes, uh, do, do they jump much? I go, nah, nah, they don't jump much, you know, you, you probably won't see him jump. And he hooks his fish and that thing comes out of water and puts upside down. And we got video of it and everything. It was really, really cool. And he's like, nah, don't jump much. Down. I go, I guess not, <laughs> you know, but. You know, right when I said it, you know, they proved me wrong. So, they'll, yeah, every fish is different. But, yeah, they're more of a bulldog than they are, a, you know, like mm -hmm. a rainbow trout, I guess. You know, they don't sit and bulldog yet. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, and they have such a big head. And when they start shaking that thing, they've got so much torque on that fly that it's, you know, it's hard to keep the thing hooked up because they can use that weight of that fly and just, you know, pop it all if it's a big fly so yeah yeah um john hicks in pennsylvania says uh for river muskies what have you observed to be the primary or key factors that determine seasonal lies for example difference between late summer and fall habitat versus winter um late summer is usually uh i'll tell them follow the bait so our main bait here is is red horse suckers um, that's the filet mignon of uh, muskies here in, in the rivers that I fish. So if I follow the red horse, I'll, I'll find the uh, find the muskies. And, and a lot of in in the summer, they're in like riffly, more shallow water, highly oxygenated with a lot of rocks, so they can nymph. And um, you know, they're just like a big trout, I guess. Uh, they'll get in those riffles and, and, and forage for nymphs and invertebrates, that type of thing. And the muskies are not very far behind that's usually cooler water that's usually more oxygenated for them too as the water temperatures climb they want to be in that oxygen rich water and that's maybe perhaps a little cooler um, in the summer i would find a spring area they will lay on a spring for sure but usually when it gets that hot i don't i don't like messing with them because you can kill them pretty easy once that water temperature gets over 80 degrees and it's it's not good you know so i would not fish them then and then as they transition, the suckers move out of the out of the Ripley stuff and start migrating either up or down river to get into their wintering holes, and they'll just kind of follow them. And once they get in those wintering holes, that's where they're going to be. So that's kind of the transition. They'll spawn up in you know shallow kind of dead water, usually a little deeper. They usually lay their eggs over like a, a wood or uh, or weeds or something like that. It's just kind of a weird spawning thing. It's not like a bass or a pike we get up real shallow, but they'll kind of um, just kind of spread their legs on vegetation or wood or something like that. So mm -hmm. then they train. Are usually then they train. Go ahead. Are they usually are usually fishing structure, wood, logs, that kind of thing? Is that where you're finding them? 
Yeah, it's a good it's a good bet because you're getting a current break, um, and they love a current break. They're great big brown trout. If you're a big brown trout hunter, a muskie is very similar to a big brown trout. So, okay. Um, that that's kind of where I would look. You know, those seams and edges and eddies and um, dams and all that kind of stuff where the, the bait's going to kind of hold up and they're going to have an easy strike at it. Uh, Stefan in Washington, uh, the question to you, slow down your presentation or fish smaller flies in colder water temps or in water clarity? I don't shrink my flies. I'll slow it down, but I'm a big slow guy anyway. I'm not a big burner. I don't like these guys. I've seen videos of these guys doing figure eights, and it looks like they're whipping up scrambled eggs, you know. I mean, just like, why don't you give the fish a chance to eat the darn thing, you know. I mean, just, uh-huh. uh, you know, a big fish, that's a big, that's like turning around an aircraft carrier. Now, they can do it. They're more agile than you'll ever think, but don't make them work too hard for it, you know. They're mm-hmm. lazy. They're lazy. They don't want to work, you know. They got that easy meal coming by, they're going to eat it, you know, hopefully. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big, you know, in the summer, uh, top water stuff, yeah, burn it. Pop, 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 you know, just drive, yeah. make them nuts. But, but yeah, once, I'm not a big, you know, fast fly guy. Um, okay. Stefan had another question. Some, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Stefan had another question about, um, uh, he says, when you get a follow or see a fish but can't get an eat, do you switch flies uh, in presentation or revisit the area later? Just move on. What do you do? Both. I would say I would switch flies. It's a big fish. Um, I would back, you know, like I'm going to drift both. So I would roll back up, anchor up, chill it for four or five minutes, maybe, you know, smoke them if you got them, I guess, and then um, change, change either color or change size and do something different. Um, now, I can't, you know, because I'm in a drift boat, that's the one disadvantage of a drift boat. If I can't come back to that on a, on a moon phase or something and try to trigger that fish up again. If I had a motor or, um, like this year, we moved a big fish on one spot. And I said, okay, we've got a major moon period coming up at 430. Let's get out, relaunch the boat, because it was right at the put in. And I'm like, let's get out of here and get that boat back in up there at 4.30 so we could hit that. And go, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Now, we didn't move it again. But um, mm-hmm. you know, if you can, if you can get back into that spot, um, then I would certainly I'd certainly do that, especially on a moon, you know, if you've got a major or minor moon phase coming up. Yeah. That's what the uh, next question, Dom in Washington, uh, he says, what condition, season, solenar, um, uh, water temperature, etc. Would you consider the most conducive for targeting muskies using top water flies? Top water, summer time, uh, real aggressive fish. Um, I don't, you know, they're certainly going to be um, lunar active. So if I have uh, moon set, moon rise, moon overhead, moon on foot, the four majors or minors, um, I would certainly fish that. I mean, those those are my Key times. This year was extraordinary moon year. I mean, most of my fish came in at a major or minor event. I would say 95% of them did. So you really have to watch that. 
But top water is a warm water thing over the late fall, or early fall, I mean. Once that water starts dropping, it kind of goes away unless you get a warm, you know, it got cold and gets back up warm, and then you can go back to it. But uh, that's what I would. Top water's tough, man. I, I don't fish it a lot just because it's so hard to get a hook into a muskie with the top water plug. I mean, it's just, it's probably not, it's probably as cool as you'll ever get fly fishing, but to actually hook one and land when it's, man, that's uh, a tall order. It's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to get a hook yeah. into one with top water. That's Elliot. The uh, next question was about that. Basically, using, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, conventional gear, you're you're reeling those things in, uh, but um, kind of hard to do with the, the fly rod and, and poppers. So, not not the thing yeah. you go to most often. It sounds like, yeah, I mean, it, um, it's really really effective. But you know, most of our bigger topwater stuff is all foam, right? Because you can't throw a big heavy gear diver. You can, I guess, but um, and to, to get them to, they'll bite it, and you can't stuff the hook because their teeth are in that hole. You know, so it makes it really, really hard to, to bury a hook into a into a top water fish unless you have mm-hmm. a pain way out the back, which you kind of went to the last few years. We use a, we'll put the head on a shank, you know, on a, you know, on a blade shanks, and then we'll run the, the hook off the back and hope, you know, hopefully that works a little bit better. So Yeah. Um, James in New York says, I've wondered about musky fishing in relatively small rivers. Uh, would this be mainly sight fishing? Can it be done by wading instead of from a boat? Um, you got to remember, muskies are not, there's not a lot of them, right, in any particular river system. So basically, you want to cover as much water as you can. I know guys that will fish a couple small rivers in Wisconsin, but they do wade fish for them. Um, and it's usually in the summer, and it's usually in a riffle or something like that where they, you know where probably the fish are at. Um, it's harder. I'm not going to say it's not, but it's pretty cool when you can get one, you know, while you're waiting. Yeah. Oh. And there's always um, that fish at the put-in or the takeout that the guy catches, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The kid, the kid yeah. usually gets it with a Snoopy pole, right? You know, they, yeah. They're throwing a worm out, they get a foot, you know. They're sitting there with yeah. mom. They're just killing time, and you know, next thing you know, they got a you know fifty-inch musky on it. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, Scott uh, Nelson in Portland, Oregon, wrote, and he says, uh, "I've read that muskies are very wary and difficult to catch. On a given day, guided by you, how many hookups can I hope to have on an average day?" And then he says, "Please remember that all fishermen are born honest." <laughs> with a smiley face. Um, this is the one. This is the one question every guide hates. You know, so yeah. no matter what kind of fish it is. But um, I'll say my biggest day this year was we moved 11 fish at, at eight of them each. I think we had more than that each, actually. Probably had nine. But um, And then I've gone three or four days without seeing a fish. So you do mm-hmm. the math. I mean, it's, you know, if you get a eat during the day, you're you're doing okay. You know, that's, yeah. that's a pretty good day. It's, it, it, that's how hard it is. I mean. Um. Yeah, I had a guy hook in six feet, and he never landed a fish. So, you know, it's yeah. one of those that's musky fishing, and he didn't really do a whole lot wrong. It just wasn't his day, you know. But yeah, crazy. well, there's all, you know, there's a lot of fish like that, but, you know. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, you, you can go after permit, like you've you've gone after permit, you know, 
and yeah. uh, you can fish for a week and not get one, <laughs> not get a bite. But, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, Phil in Kentucky wrote in here on the Internet. He says, uh, what's been the biggest surprise catch when targeting muskies? He says, and, and don't tell me you caught a two-pound sunfish on muskie flies. No, so that'd be have cool. you Have you caught something you didn't expect when you were muskie fishing? Yeah, I mean, we've caught some pretty darn big smallmouth. Um, you there? Later, but I'm here. Kip? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I think we lost Kip. Uh, okay, we'll give him a minute here to you there? Uh, okay. To uh, you got me? dial back in, and uh, hopefully he'll get that, but we seem to have lost him. Okay. You there, Roger? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. If I dropped off, they were saying they heard you, and they said they heard both of us. We couldn't hear each other. <laughs> so, oh, okay. That was a okay. first. I'm glad you dialed yeah. back in. Um, yeah. um, so, Sorry about that. So anyway, we're almost done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's, and I forgot to tell you about that at the beginning, of the, you know, before we did the show, but there was one time uh, when I dropped off, and uh, and the guy that I was interviewing was talking, and he was a real talker. And uh, so I, I dialed back in, got back on the call, and he was still talking, and nobody even knew that I was gone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but this time that didn't happen. Anyway, we'll, we'll okay. edit all that, all that out. Okay. But um, so we'll go a little bit longer here to try to finish up some of these questions. Um, sure. Um, let's see. What do we got left here? Uh uh, Jeremy in San Diego is asking, he says, it, okay. it sounds like there's a very specific windows of time where musky fishing is really good that lasts about an hour, depending on weather, moon phases. When you go out for the day fishing, are you specifically targeting muskies all day, or do you target other species while you wait for the musky bite to heat up? I fish them all day. I mean, and, and that's probably the reason I fish them in the fall the most is because um, most summer trips turn into a smallmouth trip anyway. Because the guy will throw for a muskie two, three hours, not move anything, and go, eh, I don't like this, you know. So uh, I've kind of resigned myself to be a fall guy because most clients can't do it. And, they, and, and in the fall, they only have, that's all you can do, really. So yeah. but we're fishing them all day. Um, the only thing I will say is if I'm floating down the river and it's becoming, like, let's say there's a moonrise at 1130 in the morning, I want to be in a spot where I know there's a fish at 1130 in the morning. You know, so I want to be in that run or that hole at, you know, let's say 11 to 11.30 to, to, to 12, you know, that hour. You know, I want to make sure I'm there. I want to be there right at 11.30. If they say there's an hour or half hour on each side, I'd say there's 10 minutes on each side of that moon face. So hmm. at least in my experience. Um, wow. It, it's certain. Yeah, I mean, it can be very, very tight, you know, and I always thought it was, you know, when, when Troy, the guy that I told you about at the beginning of the thing, got me into it, he'd always say, you know, moon phase, moon, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, shut up, you know, there's nothing to it. Well, you fish them for more than two or three years, and you'll realize in a hurry that moon phase is very important. Weather's always trump card. It's always the number one deal. Um, and then, you know, so basically I say it's like stacking poker chips. You want as many poker chips in the middle of the table. So when it's time to come cash in, you're going to be able to cash it in. So you want your weather right. You want the moon phase right. You want the water temp right. You want to be in the right spot, you know. 
So you want to make all those things as positive as you can. And then most of the time it doesn't matter anyway because they're not going to eat. So it's like, you know, <laughs> it was like Sunday. Everything was good. The wind, had, the, the, we had a nice day on Saturday. It turned crappy overnight. Wind picked up, got cold. Um, the moon was a full moon rising and, you know, all, everything was perfect. Didn't see a fish. So um, that's musket fishing. But yeah, there is a 10 to 15% scientific you know, it's it there. It's it's real. You know, there's a it's an advantage of 10 to 15 percent, depending on where you're fishing. Now, bigger waters got a bigger movement, a bigger effect on them, and um, the farther north you go, there's a bigger effect on it. From what they've, Muskie Inc. and the biologists are, you know, in my research for the book, um, told me. You know, so it's mm. interesting. Yeah, 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 it's a cool, um, it's a really cool, it's a weird deal, but I I remember now where we left off because um, Phil McCartney had asked about uh, have you ever caught a, a surprise catch when fishing for musky when when you didn't catch a musky and caught something else have have you ever done that? Yeah, it's just a small, a big smallmouth, big you know like a twenty. My biggest smallmouth came from musky fishing, my personal one. That's twenty one and a half inch smallmouth you know, that I got on my musky fly. Yeah. So, and then, you know, I had a guy the first day of the first Orvis musky school caught a 45-inch musky, you know, two hours into the first day, and I'm like, oh, this is easy, you know, and then uh, it was just awesome, you know, because we were like, oh, pressure's off me at least, you know, Mike, I got a fifth. And then, uh, like, you know, that afternoon he got like a 22-and-a-half-inch smallmouth, and I'm like, Jerry, the, the smallmouth, is a better fish than that musky was. <laughs> you know, I mean, you yeah, know, this yeah. that small. It was just a take. You know, I mean, it was just. They had both. He, he had replicas of both done, so it was pretty. It was a pretty cool day. So um, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, Evelyn fish, Adams, uh, Evelyn Adams in Gray's Lake. Uh, says, "What color flies do you use uh, in the summer and fall?" In the fall, I I use both. Um, you know, the the autumn one, the black and orange is always good. It's always been a good autumn fly, that color, black and orange. I use a lot of pink and white and, um, like, a tan. So, like, a sucker, if you look at a sucker, red or a sucker, they kind of peek at you to them. So I'll throw a lot of that, a little orange in there sometimes, orange and white. Like a dreamsicle-type fly is good, too. That And then fire tigers have been, been good for me, too. Fire tiger? Yeah. You know, so green, green, yellow, orange, you know, that mm -hmm. type, the fire tiger type thing. So, yeah, that's been a hot five last couple of years and then that type of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, David Myers uh, asked, uh, with a muskie, are you strip setting or some other type of hook set? You lift the rod, you lose. So you strip set. It's a tarpon. You know, if you can, <laughs> yeah. if, yep, yep, yep. If you try to use the rod at all, you're, you know, not saying this can happen, but it's all the strip set, and that's probably the most aggravating thing about guiding muskies is, you know, and I, I feel for saltwater guys because they must go through a heck of a lot more than I do, but it's all about the strip set. You know, it's all about keeping your line tight, so when they do eat it, I can jam it and. He's home, you know, and he's not. Keeping that tip down, too, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I yeah, and my old friend John always would say that keep your tip two to three feet in the water, because then when you go to lift it, the water's going to stop it. You're going to go, oh, crap! I got a strip set, and you're going to be able to strip set. Because you have time. <laughs> they, they, they eat it. You know, they eat the fly. They're not going to cough it up. It's not like a trout that's going to, you know, they're, they're going to kill it. And yeah. you've got more time than you think. Now, if they eat it and coast at you, that's where you get in trouble, you know, because they'll eat it and, and come at the boat, and you're trying to strip set as fast as you can. You're better off. You, you can't do it. But it's just to let them turn, you know, and go away and then strip set it. But, you know, like I always say, if you can do that, you're better than yeah, you know, it's time to quit because you're, <laughs> yeah. you're too darn good. You know. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I think for the most of us, it's kind of like tarpon fishing or whatever. You see that fish coming, and your knees get weak, weak, and you're right. uh, yeah, you wet yeah, your actually, pants yeah. and everything else. Yeah, you've been casting for three days. You know, and you finally want to eat it. You're like, ah, you know, and yeah, it all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a, a picture you have in your book of. Um, Somebody who says, you know, when you don't hold your your musky right, all you end up with is slime on your waders. And stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, Mark, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of those those days when you've worked so hard and then something blows it right at the end. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, good. Well, um, we do have one more question here from Dom in Washington. He says, um, evidently he's been doing some musky fishing. He says, I was wondering what you consider to be the best release practices for muskies. He says, does your approach to reviving muskies ever change throughout the season? He says, I'm asking because I recently caught a tiger in cold water that was landed quickly and was kept completely in the water, but it seemed to have trouble descending after being released because of its swim bladder. The fish was eventually did purge its air, but it took over 15 minutes. What are your thoughts on tilting or verping muskies uh, to purge an overinflated swim bladder? I've never had to do it. You know, I read that question, and I'm like, I don't know anything about it, to be honest with you, because huh. our fish are, you know, the deepest I probably have pulled a fish out of is probably 10 feet of water. You know, uh, just yeah, so, feet, yeah. right? So we don't have yeah. it. But with that being said, uh, don't fish really hot water. Um, you're going to kill it. Muskies are notoriously uh, fragile fish. They're, huh. they're like a trout, you know, you, it's surprising, you know. I mean, uh, yeah. I've killed a few over the years, and it's, you know, you just hook them too deep, and they bleed out, or they get stressed pretty, pretty easy. So, and that's kind of where I like the bulk of grip. I'll just kind of move the boat over into the shallows and just get out and just, you know, I've sat for 20 minutes just kind of taking it time and letting it just do its thing, getting its strength back, and then just letting it slowly go so i mean it's you got to be patient i mean if you know the strip the fish is stressed it's you know you caught it so it's your on your responsibility to make sure that you try to do the best thing you can i like to get you know maybe towards a little you know if there's some faster water if you're in a river system where it's a little more oxygenated you get a little more oxygen in their gills but um if you're just patient and and work with them they're you they're usually okay um but yeah, they stress pretty easy. It's it's hmm. amazing that they fish that big. You, yeah, you would think that you know a fish that big I ain't gonna stress them, but they get pretty pretty stressed. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like a smallmouth or somewhere. You can, I don't know if you could stress a smallmouth. You could, but um, <laughs> you, you they're know, pretty sturdy, and, and you get those. They're pretty sturdy fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. Well, time to wrap things up here, um, Kip. So um, stick with me, though. Uh, we're going to give away a few gifts and sure. so forth. We're going to sure. give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And, of course, we're going to give away a copy of your book, um, The Orvis Guide to Muskies on the Fly uh, by Lions Press. So, uh, so stick with me, and we'll take care of a few more things here and give away these gifts. Sure. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like the Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remained unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your support. So uh, if you're not a member already, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. So um, that is the first thing we are going to give away here is a membership to Fly Fishers International. Now, um, the winners for the drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's, it is too late, but make sure you, uh, you register for the next show uh, so you don't miss out on our uh, chance to win the, the great prizes we have to offer. So if you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we'll be giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. So if you don't win tonight, go join. And, uh, and uh, uh, sure they'd, they'd really appreciate your support. Uh, so let me fire up my database here and see what we come up with. Okay. Uh, Kip, you must have a relative <laughs> in Missouri. Uh, I have a, a, a Gregory uh, Veith. So wow. You know him? No, I have no idea. Is it spelled the same way? Because there's, uh, yeah, it's a weird last name too. There's not a lot of us, so that's kind of cool. Well, <laughs> I thought for sure it was a relative. <laughs> no, that's no. something. Uh, yeah, let me. Um, uh, v i e t h. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, might be a long lost cousin for all I know. I don't. Yeah, we're all we're all from northern Wisconsin, so I don't. Yeah. Well, Gregory. Anyway. Gregory won a one-year's membership to Fly Fishers International, and uh, congrats, Gregory, on that. And, and uh, you guys should uh, hook up, as we say, yeah. <laughs> if you're a relative. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, congrats. Um, second thing we're going to give away is a, uh, a subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal from amatobooks.com. Check them out, amatobooks.com. They've got a lot of great uh, books and periodicals uh, dealing with fishing. And um, our winner there is Brian Kishter in Wisconsin. So uh, he's probably got some musky fishing near him. And uh, so congrats, Brian, on getting that one-year subscription. So uh, good for you. And uh, that's that. So last thing we're giving away is um, 
and we still have questions coming in here, Kip. Well, we missed out on a lot okay. of questions here, but but uh, that's there's only so much time in the day. So I just cleared my queue, and if you want to answer this question, you go to our homepage, put in your answer, um, and there is, and this is not a question for you, Kip. Just to clarify. Um, this is yeah, a question keep my mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've had guests answer the question, so I go, I know yeah. you know. Uh, but so, what does Kip use to connect his wire leader to the fly? What does Kip use to connect the wire leader to the fly? So let's. That's see. a good one. Yeah. We didn't spend a lot of time on that, but um, somebody may have been paying attention. We'll see. So it takes a minute or so before I get some answers in sure. here, Kip. Uh, but uh, we'll see what we get here and um, see if I can get an answer here if they all haven't left by now <laughs> after all our shenanigans. Yeah, after, after, I, yeah, yeah. after we lost our connection. And... Uh, Looks like I have a winner here. Um, we have in uh, uh, Staylock Snap. Yep, you got yep, it. And this is uh, Donna Smith in Naperville, Illinois. And oh, okay. So she's uh, just over and across from you, not too far away. Yeah, yeah, not too um, far away at all. Yeah, so Donna, uh, congratulations on winning that Kip's book here, The Orvis Guide and Muskies on the Fly. So Donna, what I need you to do is um, uh, to send me, I've got your name here. I need, you didn't put in your email address, so you need to send me your email address and your shipping address so that we can send you the uh, book. So um, if you'll put that in, you can use the same form you answered the question in. Just put your information in there, and then we'll get this book sent off to you uh, directly. So uh, thanks for paying attention, Donna, and I hope you fish musky. <laughs> uh, you're not too far away from there. And I remember that crazy uncle I was talking about. He was from Naperville. So, uh, uh, but he had a place <laughs> up in northern Wisconsin, so small world, but I know where Naperville yeah. is and uh, way west of Chicago they're out there. So congrats and uh, thanks for, for paying attention. A uh, quick reminder, everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments, and we'll really appreciate it. Uh, Kip, hey, I really enjoyed talking to you tonight and uh, picking your brain about Muskie. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Roger. I really appreciate the invitation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, hopefully, all of you have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link at the top line menu. In that archive, you'll be able to look at all our past shows. Just search. Uh, you can go in there and search by keywords and find uh, shows on just about anything. Um, so search for tarpon, search for musky, search for uh, brown trout, whatever you want, and you'll probably find a show on it. Uh, our next broadcast will be on December 16th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. In that show, I'll be interviewing Lael uh, Johnson, and our topic for the show will be Olympic National Forest Steelhead. There's another one that takes a, a lot of cast to get. So, yes, uh, it does. Uh, yeah, Lael's a professional guide in Washington. He lives and breathes steelhead fishing. 
in the Olympic National Forest. A steelhead catch is something that will change you as a person during and for sure after the fight, and whether you win or lose the, the first battle. So join us and learn Lael's secrets to success for steelhead. I'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Douglas Outdoors, Baja Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.